Hello and welcome to Season 5 of the Ebb and Flow Podcast with Solomon Ezra Berezin. In this new season, we're focusing on holistic wellness and Hasidic Jewish wisdom so we can each thrive in body, mind, and soul. If you're new to this show, or if you haven't seen it yet, a good place to start is a recent YouTube video or podcast trailer entitled Ebb and Flow, Holistic Hasidic Health. In that video or audio, you will hear all about this new season, who is it for, my newsletter that comes out every Friday, and my coaching services. And today's episode is coming to to you from no other place than a Hasidic yeshiva that I'm at. That's a Jewish learning center. Over the past 25 years, today's guest is Nir Moriah, trained and competed at the Olympic level in Taekwondo. He spent the past 15 years studying performance psychology and has coached over 10,000 students. Nir's experience has led him to develop a performance-enhancing method called quantum performance coaching. This method identifies the intangible variables that most affect performance in high-pressure environments. It organizes them into clear principles and provides a tangible process to develop them. In today's episode, you'll you'll hear, hear all about his coaching process, and you can check out more about Nir on his LinkedIn Please leave a review about today's show and today's guest on Apple Podcasts. Head over to SolomonEzra.com and follow me on, on Instagram at King underscore Solomon 8 and Facebook Solomon Ezra Bresen to learn more. Make sure to do something actionable with your learning and be sure to let us know via message or on social media. And if you had a chance to read last week's newsletter, it was the 52nd um, issue, which means a full year, and I had a giveaway so if you're able to please write a review, you will be entered into a giveaway and you can go read about what it is. Now onto the show with Nir Moriah. Wonderful to have you on the show today. Welcome. This is the fifth season of my podcast and you happen to be one of the first guests. So thank you very much. And uh, I don't know if I mentioned to you a little bit about the show, but it's called Ebb and Flow, uh, like the Kabbalistic concept of Ratz of Ashuv. Uh, but I, I aim it a little bit around the concept of holistic health and how do we be in our peak performance physically, mentally, and spiritually. So those ebb moments of life, you know, like uh, part of your coaching, you help uh, high performers really thrive under pressure. And those ebb moments, the things from, you know, just everyday kind of challenges or uh, God forbid, the really uh, tough challenges in life. How do we respond in them and get in our state of flow, that zone that athletes uh, thrive to get into that nothing phases us. And regardless of the circumstances, we're able to ride the wave per se. Uh, so I'd love to hear a little bit uh, about yourself, about your amazing journey from Taekwondo, Taekwondo competing in the Olympics and also all the quantum, as you, as you call it, quantum performance coaching you're doing now. Uh, and then we'll we'll move from there. Okay. Um, well, I, I started training when I was five and a half years old. Um, my mom, I, I wanted to play flag football with my friends at the Jewish day school that I was going to in uh, in uh, Hamden in Woodbridge called Ezra Academy. It was a Solomon Shekhtar school. And um, and I, I think my mom just didn't want me to play football. If I'm not, I mean, I don't know exactly why, but she's like, maybe you should get some coordination first. And she opened the advertisement in the back when there was yellow pages, and wow. um, it said Korean coaches and Korean uh, martial art. And so my mom was like, "Well, they probably know what they're doing." And we went, uh, and I went the first class, and the kids made fun of me the first class. And then I came home. My father's Israeli, 
And I was crying. I was like, I don't want to go back. My, and verbatim, he said, you don't even know what's going on there. You've only been there once. Go again. And I was like, you know, like I, I didn't have a, a comeback. It was a very yeah. logical uh, point and I didn't have a comeback. So I went, I went the next class and I had a good time. And then I've been doing that ever since. And um, it started off just going twice a week, which was the normal thing. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. My, my younger brother is a year and a half younger and my sister is uh, nine years younger. So she wasn't born yet, but my brother kind of started to come into classes with me. And um, <clears throat> basically I was going twice a week, the normal schedule, but very quickly I, I was enjoying it. My brother joined in six months later even though he was too young, like, but they saw, you know, the kind of the coach was like, you know, if he can sit here and, uh, and watch the class the whole time without, you know, disrupting, then he can participate. Yeah. And so basically I started going to class and eventually we were doing it like five times a week, I think within like a year or something. So basically we would go to, you know, all of the different kids groups, um, adult classes, whatever we could go, we, we were, we were going and just like really, um, got a lot of training and we just thought they were good like we just knew they were good turns out later on they came from like a long tradition of of uh coaching from like a very good school in korea like it's set university system there so basically there was a reason they were good but i didn't know it at the time you know and neither did my parents um but um uh I, I, so i started in that in the states and then my family moved to israel um i continued my training in Israel, and I started competing internationally. Um, I, um, I, I I was fifth place at Junior World Championships, Junior European Championships. I was an Israeli national champion, and basically, when time to um, go to the army, they had this Olympic program um, for, for athletes. And because I was like one, of, I was the top guy uh, in my weight class, and uh, one of the top people on the team. Um, I got this status that allowed me to continue to train while I was in the army. Um, so I competed and trained around the world. Um, and then I moved to Houston, Texas. And the reason I moved to Houston was because the, the best coach in the world happened to be out of, um, out of Houston. And it was important for me to get an education and Rice University was, was, um, <clears throat> was 25 minutes away from tr the training facility. And so I started, um, uh, um, I decided to move to Houston and that's kind of in a quick yeah. nutshell it's over a lot of steps kind of but kind of how I how I started in the sport and then how I got to Houston um, and I guess as far as from a performance background some of the things that might be of interest was one um, because because there was really no quality or high caliber training in, in, in Israel at the time when I was a kid growing up uh, it's starting to kind of come around now, you know, it's getting a little bit better now, but um, I, I had grown up in, you know, in the, in the States in the eighties mm. where there was, you know, it was a, it was a proud time in the United States and the notion of you, anything you put your mind to, you can do. And, you know, the systems were very, you know, people went, kids went to activities to get training, you know, they went to, to pick up some kind of skill. And so, the notion of being, you know, uh, what I had learned as a kid and what interested me in Taekwondo so much to begin with was uh, more I put into it, the better I got. And that was only because I was in a healthy system. You know, it was a system where there was uh, knowledge 
And so the more effort I put to it, the better I got. I was like, as a kid, I was like, well, whoa, you know, like, this is amazing. Like for somebody who was aspiring to be their best and just love challenges, you know, I was like, this is limitless. Like, you know, there's only so far you can, you, you get good grades. You're only going to second grade. There's no way, you know, like yeah. there's nowhere to, go. but in the, in the sport, I was like, oh man, I can, I can keep going and there's nothing stopping me. So that was what was interesting to me. Um, Unfortunately, that wasn't the mentality that I ran into in the Israeli sports system growing up. It's only now starting to become a little bit more competitive and expect, you know, expecting like uh, achievements. Um, but so anyway, that, that started, I, I started traveling around the world to get training. And what happened was I was basically doing, you know, doctoral research without without it nobody would nobody else was marking it but i was yeah. basically so i had access it was it was part of your own like studying that you were doing the kind of research i was trying to the world i was trying to become the best ever yeah. so i was traveling to where the best in the world happened to be training at us so there was like some champion in denmark the spanish national team was one of the best teams in the world um you know, Korea is a Korean sport, so they were the best in the world. So basically, I was traveling around the world, um, talking to anybody I could that I saw that was successful, especially, you know, I was young, I was a kid, you know, so there was these you know, brothers from Holland and the fighter from Australia and fighter from Denmark and, you know, and, and I, I had this kind of, because I was coming from the, the Israeli system, which was a little bit more kind of like uh guerrilla warfare you know basically i was funding it and traveling right. to where important i had access to really interesting behind the scenes looks so I, I could see what was going on from an organizational standpoint at the level of the ngb i could see what was going on at the level from the coaching i, I had access to all these athletes i had access to the guys that were multiple world champions or an olympic champion or you know, the guys who got second or third. So you started to pick up the patterns, you know, just by virtue of traveling the world in different cultures, I, I started picking up the pattern of what created a successful, really successful athlete and where the differentiation was. And interestingly enough, the guys who were really separate, the guys who were the top and consistently on the top, were, first of all, they were always a little bit outside of what everybody else was doing on, mm -hmm. on the team. And the common... Uh, the common denominator was there was never, you never heard a philosophy with an excuse in it. So they didn't have a philosophy like, of, well, it's sports. So sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. You didn't hear that. Yeah. Uh, you didn't hear, uh, well, the, you know, the referees are, you didn't hear excuses. Yeah. You heard was a passion for something. And, and that, and that was basically. Like an adaptability. And, Huh? Like, regardless of what was going on, like even if, if let's say a, a referee wasn't calling a, a fair match, you just, they just roll with the punches. Let's just say. Yeah, and they were because of how they were approaching what they were approaching, and because of what things meant to them, they were able to very quickly get to the execution. Hmm. So, it wasn't so much as rolling with the punch and punches as I mean. I mean in, in, in reality, what you saw was people rolling with the punches. Behind the scenes, what was taking place was they weren't even looking at the punches. They were looking at something else entirely. In other words, the information that they were processing was completely different. They were interested in what they were about, what they were there to do, what the competition meant to them, 
you know, what winning meant to them. Like within and, those, like within those challenging moments or, or just in general, their, what their mindset was at the whole time. It was, it was, a, you know, it's like, a, you know, the Hasidic concept of Tim Tumim, right? So what it was at the larger mm-hmm. scale, middle scale, small scale, all the way down to the, and in an individual call, basically. So you saw that manifest um, in, in, in very, very small instances. What I, because of the backstory, I knew that this was how they were approaching everything. So I could get a sense of what was going on. Mm. You understand? So without the backstory, I wouldn't have been able to put all of that together. But because I was basically interviewing these guys and then seeing them in real time pressure, and I had the philosophy of these different athletes from behind the scenes and then saw what they did under pressure. I could make connections that, you know, you wouldn't have been able to make, have been, yeah. been able to make without that information. Um, so. How were you, uh, how were you able to uh, take that information and integrate it or apply it into your own life or your own um, training and then into the game, into the match? Well, normally like those, those high performers, they're not as, um, I, I guess I would say cognizant of like how you had, collected the data information okay this is how they're responding and this is what they have their mindset on that it would to them it was just that's that's just what they knew so uh, so what was the question again so how, how did you integrate it into your own uh performance on the well map? that's what houston actually because i tried to implement it in, in the system that i had in israel and one thing about confidence and uh vision is that people that lack it don't don't like you when you express it and so i was like you know 17 you know and and, and or 18 19 20 expressing my opinions and um and i i I, the more the more of a a, um positive vision i you know i expressed for myself or for the team or for the future for the you know, the more resistance I got and, and, um, and uh, started to get more and more of a target on my back. Um, and then, uh, but, but ironically in, in, um, in, in Houston, which was the best school in the world, like just to give a sense of how good of a school this was in uh, 2005, um, my, I was already training there at the time. My team sent four athletes to the world championships, like four people qualified for the national team. And a full team is 16 players. So eight men, oh, eight women. Wow. So a quarter of the team came from my school. The United States won four medals at that event. Three gold, one bronze. All from my school. Wow. They, the United States came in second amongst like 190-something countries. In other words, my school was the second best country in the world in the five world championships. Right? So... It was like basically I was joining like Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls under Phil Jackson and their in one of their three peats. Pick any one, doesn't matter. Right. So that's where I was joining. And when I and uh, it, it was the oldest brother was the, was the coach. And then there were three younger siblings. And one of the siblings happened to be in my Olympic weight class. And the day before I flew to the States, we had already met, we had already discussed everything, but I called him one more time because like, you know, I'd gotten burned a little bit with the Israeli system. And I was like, look, you know, I'm coming to the States. I'm coming to be an Olympic and world champion. You know, like, 
I'm going to be in your brother's weight class. Are you sure you want me to show up? You know? And he goes, that's exactly why I want you here. You know, that's, uh, that's the kind of competitive nature we want. And that's the kind of mindset that we want and people like that around it makes everybody better. And then, you know, let the best man win, but that's exactly what you want around. And we had like, there was like 10 people on the team. There was not a lot of people, you know, and there, there never was a lot of people on that team, but it just to contrast with almost any other team in the world where they didn't want any kind of competition, right? They were trying to actively um, diminish competition around them so that they could win. These guys were like, oh yeah, you want to kick our ass? Yeah, let's, that's exactly, that's exactly the kind of guys we want. So um, I was able to, and so it was a lot easier to implement a lot of the stuff there because that was just part of the nature. The, yeah. the nature, confident, the nature was to find your path. The nature was to, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the workouts were always um, more conceptual than, you know, like the, there was more of an idea behind them. You know, the ideas were a little bit clearer. So you had a little like bit ahead of time or even just during the training, the, the training, just the drills themselves were, were better designed. You know, there was more of a theme as opposed to a drill, like, <clears throat> it, it, um, you share an example. Yeah. So you'll, you'll, um, like more of an intention behind it, like before it even practice began, there was, all right, just to get everybody into the right mindset. I suppose you're just going straight into it. There would be like um, themes to the week or themes to the workout. And the main theme that was underlying all the workouts, no matter what the drill was. So there was one under, underlying philosophy that went through every single workout, which was the one thing that you can always control is your spirit. So everything else flows from that. So make sure that your spirit is in every drill. So that meant intent. Folk. So it went like my, my coach wasn't Jewish, but eventually, you know, we can get into this, but eventually I said, you know, there was like your neshama, your, the spiritual component, then your mind, where did the focus go, which I help with, we can get to us with the performance psychology yeah. that right? so I started to have a sense of mentally where things were supposed to go emotionally, you know, getting yourself kind of motivated and then physically would, would, uh, would follow in every specific drill. <clears throat> it was like a puzzle. You had to figure out what aspect of what you were doing was going to lead you to the quality of performance. So for example, you might be, the drill might be to, um, you know, you're doing an exercise and it's 25 times like, or 50 total. So on each side, 25, but you're doing it continuously. And you're in the, you're like, your lungs are burning, your legs are burning. You can't, you're like, what am I, what am I doing here? This is a bad, like everything in your body is a bad idea, you know? And um, there wasn't a specific guideline, do it like this, do it like that, do it like this, do it like that. There was just a standard that you needed to meet. There was a, a cue for your spirit to be there. And there was like, you better look around. No, nobody else is, is uh, quitting. So get your, you know, get your act together. So, and that was enough to figure everything out, mm. right? And everybody who couldn't figure it out left. And so it was, um, the, you know. The, part, the, the interesting, the, uh, and I kind of want to hone in on it just for a little bit before transitioning to now the 
like you were talking about the uh, performance psychology, but the keep always being mindful of the, like where your spirit is. How did you guys practice kind of building that awareness to, to notice, you know, you know, where your spirit is, how's your enthusiasm, how's the attitude coming in? Because, you know, sometimes, and this applies to us throughout, throughout the day, to, to become aware, oh, you know, I have a, a down attitude right now. How do I, how do I, you know, turn inward and, and connect with that enthusiasm and that joy and that high spirit? That's a very good question. So, so, so two things. First of all, I think it's a lot harder to do on a day-to-day basis, just in regular life. Yeah. The reason for that is, is uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, a workout is a, is a slice. It's slice? A, a slice of time. Oh, yeah, it's okay. A little piece. Mm-hmm. It has very clear um, uh, okay. objective. Okay. Right? You have very clear parameters. You have very clear objectives. So, and everybody is doing the same thing and expected to have a, a, a maintain a certain standard. And there's somebody kind of like a, like a conductor conducting this whole thing to, to, to not let you to kind of like, there's where the normal ebb and flow of human, you know, experience goes to kind of find how you do that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of helping you manage that. Right. So day-to-day life one, you don't have a bunch of people around, you know, kind of with the same, um, same ability, role and motivation and experience. Um, two, it's hard to cut out those kinds of slices of time in your day. Like, you know, there's a two hour workout. It's very clear what the focus is in the two hour workout, but what if you're having a bad day? Where does that period stop? Where does it start? You know, can I have a bad day from eight to 11? You know, like how it's, it's a little bit harder to, um, to find the, the, the timeline on that kind of stuff. Um, and three, uh, on the same kind of point is that, um, like I said, there was a theme to the workout. So you have to be very conscious and, and clear about like, let's say there's a very large puzzle of something that you're tackling right? There's a lot of components that go into that. So you have to have a sense of what part you're focusing on as opposed to the, ho- the whole picture. You know, things that usually bother us or that take us out, make us feel bad and so on and so forth are usually very complicated. You know, it might show up as just a, a simple emotion. You know, you might just feel bad about one thing that's kind of like triggering your, 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 your focus. But in reality, there's a lot of things going on yeah, behind it. Mm-hmm. A much more complex problem although if it was simple it, it wouldn't be that you know yeah. obviously it would issue um i like to say and, the i like to say the problem is not the problem yeah it's exactly there's something under it and, and so the one thing that i did take out of training that became very clear for any problem that i was focusing on because along the way you start for you see the patterns and you start formulating what in performance psychology is called performance philosophies and, and a performance philosophy is basically just a summary of something that is unique to kind of, um, is unique to you or unique to your circumstances or unique to the kinds of challenges that you run into that you can just cue to yourself as opposed to going through the whole explanation of everything that's going on that might be going wrong. Like, I don't like spending a lot of time in negative emotions. 
Um, th th there's a time and place to evaluate that, um, but and there's a lot of positive information if you if you really look at pressure, you know, pain points, things that are painful or things that are problematic. If you have an honest look at them, it gives you a lot of information. So yeah. I let my to get out exactly kind of like the really what's at the root of the problem. And then I shift and start solving the, the problem. And, and, and the philosophy that kind of stuck behind it was basically that if you have a belief, in, whether it comes from God or wherever it comes from, but basically the notion that things are happening for you, mm -hmm. that it, I always was like, pressure is basically to push me inward in, inwards and like to my essence and upward to some the overarching belief and so mm. i just when the pressure came at me i just went like in to get to the essence of like why am i doing this what's my motivation that, 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 why why am i and then upward to what is the what is the principle that is governing what i'm dealing with and uh, and that and, and the notion that that's you know that's it's for you it helped you help me solve things quickly yeah, and and get into that spirit and check high spirit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, it's not like I don't experience negative emotions, and, and I'm always trying to do things better on my own. But there's a lot of pressure that you know it takes. I think there's a lot of pressure that has to accumulate before it starts registering. You see? Mm -hmm. uh, so you can hit, you basically you're you're be able to you know we're equipped to uh, embrace pressure right so if you have a belief system that allows you to embrace pressure and process it efficiently um then you can you know you, you can um the ebbs and flows of the experience are kind of in a in a positive framework yeah you know the 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 because you because you, you know everything ultimately comes from from hashem from god so in a sense, when any kind of challenge or like you're saying a negative emotion is coming at you, you, like you said, it, it's happening for you. So with that underlying um, perception in a way, then you can look at it. Okay, I'm experiencing this. What is this trying to uh, teach me? Uh, what is this showing me? Like, you, you know, you could have a little bit of a performance anxiety, hmm. which is you know that's a we could we could label uh, an emotion of uh, negativity although it's not really negative it's just uh a, a preparation you're getting ready into going into to something even you know a little bit i have nowadays i i would have before when i would play college basketball and i didn't have the tools to or at least the tools weren't honed well enough to be able to deal with it but I even now experience a little bit, you know, just having a, an interview like this or giving a speech. Uh, and it's, it just shows it's there for you. It's, it's the, it's prepare, preparation, getting into the, the actual performance. Yeah. And, and um, the, the, I, the negative emotion, it, it's, it's, um, I always, one of the things that came out through the training was I basically recognized that any weakness, you can have a, you can have a spiritual weakness, you can have a mental weakness, you can have an emotional weakness, you can have a physical weakness. And something that my coach said all the time, which if you want to, which was always like, I thought it was a good metaphor for the relationship with like Hashem, is that, you know, I don't care how 
if no matter how good you guys do, I'm going to push the limit one more time. So if you kill it all the way up to here, then guess what? Next workout is going to be, you know, more difficult. In other words, yeah. the job was to break you one way or the other. And your job was to, you know, experience that and then not be, and then grow quickly, you know? And so this notion of being comfortable with the uncomfortable was drilled into us. The notion that your spirit has to be there all the time. And so now imagine a focus like that, you know, that's the thought, that's the focus, that's the preparation. Then when you come into a situation where it's just sparring, you know, and it's just fighting, that was always, the, that was always a lot of an easier uh, focus. You know, the training was what was difficult, looking at yourself, finding the strategies, finding the, uh, um, the, the, all of the, the, the building the skill, um, building the, the, the emotional conditioning, because there, it, it, there's a lot of processes that happen and you don't know which one is going to happen under which pressure. Yeah. Sometimes thing goes off the, off the chart because why you're tired, you're hungry, maybe you're cutting weight, you know? So there's, you know, like physiologically, you yeah. don't feel very, you don't want you might be stressed with, you might be stressed. Athletes are, are notoriously, especially Olympic athletes are notoriously stressed for finances. You know, you might be worried about the money that you have to make the competition. You might be stressed about some kind of inner. So emotionally, you might not even feel like solving the, the, the problem, right? So that could be the challenge. It has nothing to do with how, how to solve the problem. Maybe you actually know how to solve it pretty quickly. You just don't feel like doing it, mm-hmm. right? So that, on that day, that might be what the challenge was. Yeah. Right. Another day, it might be there's an error in your mechanics and you're forcing it. Right. You're, you, you have the energy, actually, ironically, because you're stronger or in better shape. But now, in order to meet the standard that's being set in this drill that's physically demanding, you're forcing it and you're overriding the technique. So you would have to, you know, they would, there's certain markers. Like my coach didn't do a lot of coaching in the sense that like there wasn't a lot of uh, micromanaging. But simple things like trust the technique, you know. So okay, so you, you had to, you know, you, mind you, you you have no oxygen while you're processing this, right? <laughs> like your lungs gonna be burning. You're trying to figure this out. And you're like, what the hell is this guy, right? And you're like, shit, you know, like I can't breathe. I can trust, the t- but you, you had no, like, there's no way out, right? What are you gonna faint? You know, like you don't want to faint. What are you gonna throw up? You don't want to throw up. What are you gonna quit? You can't quit. You know, what am I even? Like, I want to be a world champion. I want to be the best. I don't want to just, not only that, I don't want to just be getting through this. I want to be killing it, yeah. you know? So all of a sudden within like, you know, a fraction of a second or a couple seconds, you have to process all of that and come up with the right equation to not die in practice. You know, like that was, so you just got good at it. You know, there's, there's one thing uh, you mentioned your coach um, um, kind of, expected of you guys to constantly raise the bar and I wanted to jump right back in it because one thing I I think I put on myself uh, as an athlete was that um, high standard but at the same time um, it could have could have been harmful or a hindrance because then I wasn't comfortable where I was at so how did you guys or how did you maybe he taught that or not how did you cultivate like, yes, like keep going, like raise the bar, raise the bar, but be happy 
be satisfied where you are. Like, can I ask what kind of, um, uh, what kind of, when you, you said I, I had expectations, can you give me like an example of what those expectations were? Because I think it might demonstrate like a very important performance yeah. principle. And so that might get kind of get at that. So but I think it ultimately came from um, a, like a, maybe a belief, a limited belief of like ne not being good enough, never being good enough. But what was the, what was the kind of, uh, expectation or, or or standard that you would set so so I, so i like just verbally like what was what was the you said like i i held a certain kind of standard but i felt frustrated by not being able to meet that standard so well can I, can't, I can't think of an ex exact thing but uh it was always like like what your like what your coach was teaching you guys like even if i perform the best you know why couldn't it be even better that's the kind of like oh okay I I um, maybe scored this many points or did this why why didn't I uh, also have do better in this area or or even in school so it was perhaps approached in a not the uh, most optimal way because it is beneficial and you we we want that constant growth you know how do I perform better how do I be better but what I've learned through my own studies of performance psychology or the like like you, it's not the the whole notion of never be satisfied is uh, not effective unless it's uh sat like i'm confident and comfortable where i am and i'm getting better okay so so that's first of all it's a very good question and it's something that you, we would run into all the time it's something that i ran into and the performance psychology uh which I, I work very closely with, I, I think I mentioned off camera, but a guy named uh, John Elliott, uh, which we just, I just, everybody just called him Dr. Elliott or Doc. Uh, he's now in, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Texas A&M at the moment, but at the, at the time he taught at Rice and he works with a lot of, you know, big professional sports teams and uh, MD Anderson, you know, studying cancer. Uh, wow. uh, uh, patients and, and, and NASA and you know private clients all over the place and so um and he he's he was like one of the top students of, of Bob Rotella who's like basically the, the father of uh, performance psychology and um and he was out of Dartmouth taught out of Dartmouth which is where Dr. Elliot got his uh, his PhD anyway one of one of the there's there's a distinction between uh goals and dreams and outcomes and performance, and they kind of go together, right? So typically what you're, what you're, what it sounds like you're describing is basically, if I set an outcome, for example, um, I want to make 10 shots in a row, okay? And I'm going, well, I'm, I only made seven. So that might be, that can, in some cases, lead to frustration. Sometimes it leads to motivation, right? If it depends how you're perceiving it, it depends kind of what you're what you're aiming at. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's if it's from if the notion is um, if I'm focusing on the performance as opposed to the outcome, outcome could be like I want to win a competition, I want to score this many points, I want to do this, I want to go this fast, this this heavy, so on and so forth. That's the result. The performance is what are the targets? What are the focal points? Um, that I can focus on when I actually execute 
that the more pressure I put on them, the more performance I'll produce, right? So for example, there's uh, in, um, in basketball, a, a good shooter will pay attention to everything up until the shot, right? Mm -hmm. I can keep into the shot. And he, there's, this good, there's a good story, um, I always forget the, the name, but this guy, he, was a, he ended up playing football with the Redskins and winning a Super Bowl with them. So it gives you a sense of kind of when whoever was on that team. And he used to play high school basketball. And he was very good uh, three-point shooter in, in, in basketball. In fact, he shot 50% from the, from the three-point line. And his team makes it to the, the um, his team makes it to uh, the uh, high school national, national finals. And this guy goes zero for 17 in the finals. He does not make a shot, okay? His team is playing well, so they're still in it. It comes down to the last play, and um, the coach designs the play for the ball to go to the other shooter. And this guy, I wish I remember the guy's name. I'll have to look it up. But the guy goes, coach, I don't care what anybody thinks. Get me the ball um, scoring the basket, right? So was it Robert, uh, the third, what's his name? Rob, um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did uh, I tell you? The guy with the dreads, no? Um, where this, do you guy play? Has, this guy has, he's a junior or the third or something. I don't remember the guy's name, but I'll, I'll have I to know what you're talking about. He played in college in Texas as well, no? No, no, no. This is like, this is, this guy must have played like in, in the 70s or something or something oh, like that. High school in, in Texas or something. I don't exactly remember. But anyway, he says to the coach, like, I don't care what anybody says, pass me the ball. I'm making the shot. The coach, which that's some of the level of confidence this coach had, right? Because he goes, he does it, he redesigns it. The ball goes to him, he gets the ball, takes the shot. They win the championship. Okay. Now, afterwards, the reporters come and ask him. They go, well, let's just call him John for 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 this. He goes, John, how did you have the confidence to take that? How did you make that shot? How did you have the confidence to take that shot when you were obviously having a horrible game? You know, he'd gone zero for 17 up until that point. And he goes, well, I'm a 50% shooter. Do the math. I'm so due to make this shot. I can't, you know, like, how could I, how could I miss, right? And he says that the reporter thought about this for a second. He goes, well, by that token, if you had gone 17 for 17, would you have passed the ball? He goes, 17 for 17? I'm hot. Pass me the ball. How could I miss? Yeah. Right? And so... Uh, Genuine confidence and a focus on the, the performance as opposed to the result um, is a place where you're always free. You're always in the moment and you're always free to kind of put the pressure on that and produce something to, to rise to the occasion. There's no calculation. He's not, if he was calculating, you know, man, I'm a 50% shooter and I missed 17 shots. Maybe I'm not that good of a shooter yeah. in the comparison to the outcome. Or even he, if he said maybe maybe now would not be the best for me to shoot, but yeah, maybe I'm, I'd be best serving my team if I passed, right? But the point was he took that statistic which had some value, but he gave it the right he gave it the right uh, it was a piece of information that he gave it the meaning and the right value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was at the end of the day he's calculating what's going to give me confidence, what's going to allow me to perform, what's going to bring out my best. So that, that is the underlying belief 
that is the mentality behind the scenes that allows him to respond in that situation like that. Right. And so anytime you see something in, in anything that comes through your day, if, if you feel that, it, and it's very easy to evaluate. And the first thing is just to be honest and going, well, what did that produce? If it produced fear, anxiety, over or a lot of analysis, um, negative emotions, and so forth. So the first thing is just to assess what it is that it's actually doing, right? Then you can kind of get to the behind of uh, what you're, you know, like what you're looking at. You know, what do you, what information are you evaluating and assessing? And and then are you looking at it from a place of uh, am I focusing on the performance? the principles that are actually gonna produce performance under pressure, or am I comparing it to some kind of an outcome or a result, right? And so, and a lot of times that, that and I'm jumping here to kind of like the other part that about the difference between a dream and a goal, people that are motivated by dreams tend to think in terms of performance. And by dream, I mean something like, um, kind of like uh, Yogi Berra, you know, the famous baseball player where the, he had these great, Yogi, they're called yogiisms. You know, I can't hit and think at the same time. 90%, 50% of this game is 90% mental. You know, yeah. he, had, he had an eighth grade education, but the guy was brilliant when it came to yeah. performance. And, and he just, he goes, I just love baseball. You know, so if there's, so if you're doing something because you love what you're doing, you know, simple passion, there's a simple interest. There's a simple, there's something very simple that has nothing to do with anybody, has nothing to do with anything, has nothing to do with what you're going to get from, it's just purely about the game. Um, the love, process the love. is like process oriented, not goal oriented. Yeah. Process is like performance. Yeah, exactly. Like in a sense, those, those star performers, they weren't worried about, although they had the, it sounds like, although they had the outcome goal as something to move after or go after their their on the ba daily basis focus was on the formula or on the on the process yeah and, and that outcome is in it basically it's in the right proportion because if you have no excitement like you know if the thing doesn't mean anything to you you don't want to win you know because sometimes people get like um mm -hmm. and that's what you kind of like uh when people go all like uh, ashrami you know where I have no possessions. I have no, you know, I, I've removed all, it's not Jewish at all. You know, mm -hmm. I've removed desire from my heart. You know, the, uh, the Gemara says, you know, you, you move the Yetzirah from the world in a, in a chicken wouldn't lay an egg, I think is the. Is I, haven't, the I haven't come across that one. If you remove but, but, but wait, it says like at Sadek, it says uh, like his heart is void within him. Like they've completely uh, el eliminated that. That ego, that uh, I think that's talking about a, a, a different component of it because okay. that that might be from the notion of bitul, which is like you you have yeah. your um, um that that kind of ties into the notion that again, well, if you talk if you look at about a dream, a dream is something bigger than you. It's something pure. It has nothing to do with any kind of uh, anything you get. Yeah. Then the is process. It's not outcome, right? then you have then the then the, the achievement is always bigger than the result it's more than it's the, it's the fact that you've accomplished you you've expressed your innermost essence under pressure so in fact highest level of of performance 
you're almost not there if you're thinking of it from like a Kabbalistic standpoint. You're not present at all. You're just doing everything right. And because you're doing everything correct and you're choosing it freely, and you're choosing it willfully, it produces this transcendent performance. But the person is almost, once you're in the outcome, the what you get from this, what it means in terms of your social you know, status or what it means and how good I am or aren't based off of this one performance or this one accomplishment or this one goal that I set and so on and so forth. The more you think of things in that, in that manner, you're already starting off from a, from a place that, that you're in the way every step of the way, hmm. right? So, so from that standpoint, yes, there's no yetzer in the sense that uh, the, 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 the there's humility, right? But yetzer from the perspective of not wanting to accomplish, like you're supposed to be jealous of that are smarter than you and that, uh, that, that is, is a correct aspiration. In other okay. words, it's correct if it's at a spiritual achievement, right? But if the spiritual achievement is I want to be considered smart in my community so everybody gives me respect, well, then that's not, then you've switched the value. There was like a, like a Hayom Yom, the day, daily uh, lessons from the Rebbe, uh, I think maybe in the past two months. It was something about exactly like you said, look, be jealous of those ahead of you to inspire, like to, to, to grow. And then for those less uh, learned, um, it, should, it should evoke like humility, something of that sort. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know exactly which one you're talking about. And, and yeah, from, from a material standpoint, you're supposed to be samer bechilko. But from a spiritual standpoint, you're supposed to be, you're never supposed to be satisfied. Yeah. So if you're looking, if, if you're counting how many championships you have, it's, it's, tricky right the the outcome yeah so i was about to say how to apply apply that uh, to sports because i've i've come across that quote from him often and i've uh i've, I've thought about that when it, how it applies to sports because it makes uh, it's it's clear when it says like in torah and mitzvahs in spiritual growth never be satisfied because there's like you were even saying with uh when you're talking about your uh realization as a young boy when you're playing when you were um, training you realize there's always a next level and it's it's also true in in in, uh, in our growth and in, in spiritual in spiritual growth, but then when it comes like to sports, that uh, never satisfied uh, is that considered like a, a physical thing where yeah you can be satisfied or or what? Well, did did you happen to see the the last dance? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember the episodes where Jordan loses? In the playoffs, like he loses to to Detroit, um, he lost it twice in a row, right? It was two two years back to back. They lose to Detroit, right? And he loses to the Celtics in like early on in his career, right? Do you remember his response to those? Uh, he went to, those, to the gym the next day. Yeah, he didn't like it, but if you saw, he was very humble about accepting the results. He didn't question who he was, right? He didn't question what his, his motivation, what his, what his level of achievement, it just fueled his competitive fire, right? When he won, why was he, you can see his response. He's happy because the winning validates his work, yeah. fuels his competitive fire, right? The only time he's, he, 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 he's, he's done is when he takes the break and he goes to play baseball because at that point he didn't have any more competitive fire 
right? In other words, when he lost, it fueled his competitive fire. When he won, he fueled his competitive fire. When his father was taken out of the equation and all of the meaning of what all of this meant shifted, he needed a break, right? And even before, he had already, like, he had already, yeah. thing he had set out to, he had a three-peat, he'd, he'd, be, he'd beaten uh, Bird, he had beaten Magic, he'd, the, the dream team, he had already established for himself that he was the best, like, so now he has to re, recalculate what things mean, right? And so if, if, the, 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 if the aspiration is, in other words, the outcome is tied to the dream correctly, then it, it becomes like the, the spirit, it becomes a spiritual pursuit. It's like looking at the Talmidei Chachamim and not the Tzameach Bechilko. And, and you saw, he was Tzameach Bechilko when it, he lost. It was okay, but it went back right back to the performance and right back to the execution, right? Or right back into building the skill, right? And so if you've, if you've, um, and this is where honest evaluation of yourself is, is crucial because as things are taken away from you or given to you or did not, whatever, as something, as things uh, unfold, you can see what your natural response is to things. And that, and that gives you your way of checking where you're actually holding, you know? Um, and so, uh, that, that kind of ties back to kind of what was what we were talking about at the very beginning of this notion of of um, it will the pressure will reveal reveal where you are what, what weakness you have yeah. right might be a physical weakness and by that like there's an error in your mechanics or something you know, maybe you need to get into shape you know whatever the physical cue may be emotionally your motivation there's like there's something that like there's a there's a yetzerara there's a very specific kind of yetzerara that because there's there's the notion that in the other there's nothing that stands in the way of a person's will. Except there's a yetzerara that sometimes keeps a person from like he doesn't even want to want. Indifferent. The, yeah, different. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, specific kind of yetzerara. Um, it's like the kind of yetzerara of Amalek. You know that yeah, it, doubt. Yeah. Fools and doubts. By the way, for right. those who don't know uh, the translation of uh, Hebrew Yetzirah is like the, what's called the evil inclination, but it's like the ego. It's just that I would throw that in there. And, and Amalek is basically the, the people that represent doubt or its sole purpose is to undermine confidence and faith. It has no other uh, purpose. Basically, they're there to undermine, it's there to undermine questions out just for the sake of undermining questioning and doubt. Otherwise, even if you answer the question, it doesn't, you don't get any, you don't go anywhere. And ironically, that's actually a sign of you being at a very high level. And so if you happen to run into those kinds of, um, that's a very Hasidic uh, uh, notion that, you know, like in the, the Benoni, the guy who's in the middle, that yeah. if when Davini is praying, doubts or things creep into his mind, it's not because he's bad, it's because he's at a, by overcoming it, hating it. The, the body, yeah. The body or the Yetzirah, just because it's so um, programmed, so to speak, in, in its ways, it does whatever it can to, to uh, disturb somebody's focus. So it can, it can bring up or do whatever it needs to, like normal thoughts per se, wouldn't, wouldn't bother that high performer. We could say somebody that's diving is high performer. So it has to do what, you know, whatever it can. 
has got a jumble level. It's got to yeah. raise the stakes. And so, but by recognizing that that that's uh, it's because you're at a higher level and because that that's the process that that's for you, then you you know you can kind of embrace it and go, oh wait, I'm not not instead of feeling bad, it's like ah oh, no, not that I'm doing bad. I have a doubt. I have a worry. I have a oh man, I'm getting a challenge. You know, and and this and by completely negating it and shifting my focus um, to the right cues, then I can. That, that's where I beat this. That's where I grow. That, that, that even answers the question earlier when I was asking about um, how to be maintain that high spiritedness even during the day. Because if, if somebody can realize and become aware of those um, negative thoughts or just anything that's that's trying, the Yetzirah trying to take away somebody's focus, whether it's in davening or, or uh, within the day, and you can become aware of that. Oh, this is this means I'm I'm doing well. This means I'm doing things properly. That then you can have that immediate or almost immediate shift to where you have those, you know, let's say the despair or despondency, and you can realize ah, and then just instantly shift and be like enthusiastic within that within that emotion as it passes. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. The, the, the challenge. Again, like what I was, I was, I made the distinction earlier, which is um, in, in sports, you have an organized environment where this is taking place. Mm-hmm. Lucky you have a good coaching and good environment and so on and so forth, right? But the, the main component was that there's this organized slice of time with these clear objectives, right? It, it, it takes a lot of uh, focus and discipline to be able to implement that same thing in, in real life yeah. because. You need a lot of looks. That's even what the, the Tanya talks about setting, like, like you were talking about, you don't really like to, um, I don't remember exactly. So, but handling with the negative emotions. Yeah. It's a waste of like time. He, talk, he talks about like designating time to look out those. Cause otherwise, yeah. it can, otherwise it can uh, affect the day. Yeah. You're like this. Oh, I yeah. had a, you know, um, yeah, yeah, you don't want it. So it, it has its time and its place. And so you just have to, but, but, but the biggest thing is that when people f- experience negative feelings or emotions in an athletic stand, in an athletic side, you can, like you can, we can go back to the Jordan example. He saw that there was, a, there was a weakness. He was right back in the gym the next day. Hmm. And he worked on getting better, stronger. He, he was like, these guys are bullying me. I got to come back physically stronger. It wasn't his mentality that was giving out. He was physically not, you know, so that's a very good example, right? Because obviously he had the, wasn't his mentality. He had, they had a good team. They were already in the finals of the, the, the Eastern conference. It's not like they're not good, but these guys are manhandling him at a time where in the NBA, where you used to be able to kind of touch the superstars, you know? So, it required a physical strength and a mental strength, the mental strength he already had. He didn't need to get mentally stronger, but he had to develop physically, right? So um, normally people don't, when people experience something negative, they feel like they're not doing it well. They don't rush into 17 more looks at that same problem. They'll kind of avoid them best they can, try to maintain their own self preservation as much as they can and 
try to avoid that as much as possible. Sometimes they might dose that out and try to kind of like slowly, uh, uh, you know, kind of go back into a situation or deal with it. But, and this is where like, you know, faith in Hashem and Ashgachah Pratit comes into whatever challenge you're dealing with, it's going to show up one way or another in whatever aspect of your life. So if you don't deal with it over here, you're going to deal with it over here. If you don't deal with it over here, and ironically, where, where things mean the most to us is where, like, if you come from a, a faith-based perspective, that's exactly where God can get your attention, basically. You know, there's a lot, makes a lot, actually. He can't get your attention in places that you don't care about. You know, like, I, had, I never had any interest in become, being a doctor. I don't like seeing blood. I don't like, you know, when they take my blood, I got to lie down. You know, there's a lot. I don't, okay. I don't like, uh, I, I, I'm happy that there are doctors. You know, maybe if there was no doctors around, I might pursue it to, to, to save humanity. But because there are other doctors, there's people taking care of it. It's not my, my favorite thing, you know, especially when you have to like, you know, you got to set your arms or whatever, like you're in sports, you're like, I, I, I don't like it. Um, so there's, if there's some medical breakthrough and you know it's not if something happens medically in, in that field it doesn't mean anything to me it's not going to catch my attention it has no interest and it's got no value right so what people are you know people the day-to-day problems that people run into is the things that mean the most to them mm. and they're failing in some way and usually it's not a big deal that you're failing i mean if you take it if you approach it as if it was a training an ongoing training, a long game, um, you know, and you're like, oh, I need to get better at this. Okay, well, and you were able to break it down to its performance parts, so to speak, you know, then, okay, well, I can solve this, I can work on this part. When it shows up this time, I can focus on this one. I might miss all the other nine parts that, that go into this, but I was focusing on this one part. And I got better at this one part. And ironically, ironically, Things get solved very, very quickly when you focus on 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 one piece. You know, like if you focus on the right piece and on uh, and, and on one piece, it's very easy to fix. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, if you've seen any Tony Robbins uh, videos and stuff, the one thing that I like when I watch his videos, there's a lot of stuff. You know, there's stuff that I don't like, and you know, there's some stuff that and that's a little bit like machery. Uh, you know. But the one thing that I see that the guy does every single time that's very, very interesting is how quickly he solves problems, right? And the reason you solve, because an honest look with the correct tools at the right problem gets solved like that. But the Rebbe says the same thing when it comes to um, the Yetzirah. He says, try to pull it, pull the rug from under the Yetzirah. Like you don't go, you don't confront it. You don't like battle it. You don't argue with it. You just try to pull its premise out from under him, you know? And so uh, basically things get, ironically, and, and, and unless you've engaged in pressure situations a lot, you're not going to come by this insight. But ironically, the things that we don't, that, that are most painful for us because they mean the most and usually are very complicated they last for long periods of time simply because we were not going at them by just solving like the one slice or the one piece. And it's never, it's never outcome. It's never like when I get the result, then I can then feel better. It's I want, I'm motivated about this result. 
it means this in terms of a, a performance or a process or the work that goes into it, which in, you know, in Judaism, we might call the tshuva, you know, the refinement, mm -hmm. right? Accurate and you're honest and you're consistent. It, it's ironically very, very easy. So there's this constant dichotomy when it comes to kind of pressure and, and meaning and, and performance that yeah. doing it correctly, you're like, oh, it's a cinch. And almost you want more challenges because the more challenges I get, the better I get. Yeah. And this is actually a really easy equation. And, and, and you know, it's like what the, what the Rebbe says within and above at the same time, you kind of, and that's what we might call the zone, you know, like you're yeah. pressure. Everybody else is experiencing pressure, but everybody else is experiencing the kind of pressure where it's turning they're into. They're submerged by the water where you're like head above. Exactly. They're getting suffocated. They're focusing on all the things that we were discussing, the outcomes, the comparisons to the past, to the future. Um, they're not sure wh where the challenge is coming from. They can't locate the, 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 the thing that they're supposed to be looking for. They don't even know that they're supposed to be locating. You know? And in the meantime, you got the other person on the other side, exact same situation, but this person is motivated by a dream, by a vision. There's a humility. There's a faith-based process. They're, they're getting better. They're... Uh, there's an honest evaluation they're looking at small cues along the way and they're like oh give me give me more of these because the more i get the better i get yeah. all these things solved by by the whole, mind, the whole mindset of the challenges shifts yeah the whole language the whole experience physiologically you experience it differently emotionally you experience it mentally spiritually and so i mean um I, that I, I I summarized and put together a lot of different insights from a lot of different experiences. Yeah. Started off like from, uh, you know, just being like a 14 year old kid, you know, in a foreign country, trying not to get my ass kicked and trying to figure out why are these guys good, you know, through the performance psychology and working and understanding the, the psychology behind it and the science behind it to the Torah classes, which I didn't get into, but there was a lot of Torah study that went into the process because I, I recognized that I need to organize the belief system if I was going to be under pressure on a regular basis, you know? Um, and so those three, the, or those four components, basically having a spiritual, clear spiritual foundation, having this, this, the, the science, and then, um, having or three actually and then having this training in this environment that i was able to practice things in on a regular basis and also not only that i had this i could see people from all around the world solve the equation the exact same way right in other words i had this behind the scenes look of not only what i was doing under pressure and performing but what other people were doing and then you could start picking out you know patterns oh the europeans do it this way the south americans do it this way the asians do it this way the africans do it this way and then you have kind of like general you, know, you get these kind of like general patterns and then the individuals from in those environments. How does this specific guy do it? Is this specific girl do it? You know, so. Cool. Um, Beautiful. So, yeah. So to, to wrap up a little bit, it's been a lot of fun, by the way. Thank you. I'd love to hear uh, a little bit how you apply all of it into your coaching and helping uh, clients. Uh, yeah. So the first, the first most important thing is... Um, so the, 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 the methodology that I basically synthesize from all of these things um, brings all performance, doesn't matter which field you're in, doesn't matter if it's, you're coming as a parent, as a spouse, 
as a executive business executive as an athlete um I, I always tell the first thing is to kind of get a sense of what your identity is because how we process information basically the premise is as pressure rises our performance becomes increasingly dependent on the quality of our interpretations mm-hmm. okay so what that means is how how um, clearly, efficiently, accurately, I process information under pressure is going to dictate how I perform under pressure. And that comes through, it always comes through three prisms. Okay, one, my identity. And by that, getting a sense of, it kind of ties into kind of what we were saying before about the dream. What is the pure connection that you have with this thing that you're doing? But now it's coming from a sense of what is my unique strength? What is my superpower like my wife i asked when when we were starting today like what is if i asked you like what is your superpower not like what superpower would i like to have like i'd like to fly or be able to see through you know lead or be invisible yeah not what superpower would i like to have but what superpower do you have and what is unique in a way that something that you have that nobody that you know like this is this is me this is what i'm good at if you can clarify what that is relative to a specific thing you have a sense of what you need to be aiming at again and again under pressure going back to the michael jordan example what he says what you've heard this guy say for the last you know 40 years was my competitive fire my competitive nature right now a lot of people might be competitive but when michael jordan says i'm competitive everybody knows that whatever comp whatever however competitive other people are they're not as competitive as michael jordan because this guy that's his superpower i'm not as competitive as michael jordan i don't know anybody else as competitive as michael jordan i know people who are very competitive you know but not like that and not what it means to him right you saw kobe you know rest in peace kobe bryant but you saw kobe and he had he was very competitive but you saw he had like a work ethic what made him superior was he was behind physically when you hear him tell his story and he he figured by waking up at four o'clock in the doing his first workout at four o'clock in the morning if he got more work in they weren't basically do his first workout four to six then you know nine to eleven then three to five and then seven to to nine he was like i'm gonna have put in so much work they're never gonna be able to catch up Right, so he separated through his pack through the competitiveness turned into effort, which in smart, intelligent. Yeah. By the way, notice the difference if you ever want to really look at a comparison, how accurate Kobe Bryant was about describing his process versus Michael Jordan. He was much more articulate, mm-hmm. much more clear, uh, much more precise about all of the steps in the process because you could see he, that's what made him different. Whereas Michael Jordan, it was his competitive nature that sufficed for whatever it was in, 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 in his career and in his personality, right? So get that sense of what is unique to you and, and understand that under pressure, that's what's gonna be challenged. It's sticking to that under pressure that you're gonna get asked again and again. In other words, doesn't matter what other variables go into it, having you, that identity, understanding that you have to be true to who you are under pressure, that's first and foremost, and really the only thing that's going to be asked. The rest is details, but that's number one. So you're, you're what I call a performance identity. Two is uh, what I call your performance targets. 
Okay, a performance target is like what we were saying, the difference between the cue that you're focusing on ahead of time as opposed to uh, the outcome. The outcome is a byproduct of execution, right? You control everything up to you shoot the ball, right? If in interpersonal relationships, I don't control what that person does or says or mm -hmm. how they respond. I just can control my intention when I say something. I can, let's say I hurt somebody's feelings when I'm, I'm talking. Well, I didn't, if I meant to hurt their feelings, that's one thing, you know, but if I, if I didn't, then I can always try to correct my communication or maybe step before that, calm my emotions and remove my hurt or my ego and, and really think about what is the essence that I'm trying to establish here and then communicate from that standpoint. So there might be five, six, seven steps I need to do from a performance standpoint before I get to the execution, but knowing, uh, focusing on the performance and the target uh, where, where you're at is the second step. Um, and just one more thing on that. One of the, one of the mistakes, two of the biggest mistakes people make all the time when, when they're kind of evaluating performance, they either go to, they, they, they make the, a mistake between what's the target and what's the outcome or what's the result. And second, the second biggest mistake people make is um, incorrectly evaluating what step they're at. So for a simple example, right? Um, Roger Federer at the finals of Wimbledon, his coach, if he's saying anything, isn't pick your elbow up, Roger, right? Because picking your elbow up is the wrong cue for, the, for match point at Wimbledon, right? It's gonna be a cue on the lines of where he saw weakness in his opponent, where to put the pressure, what sequence is coming. It's gonna be the cue and the focal point is relevant that, that you're at. And being able to evaluate which step you're at is a mistake people make all the time because it's precisely because it's meaningful and they want the outcome. They want the result. So they never take the time to evaluate where they're at in the process. So one is your identity. Two is your target. And three is what I call your performance routine. And the routine is basically physically, what do I do that kind of combines these two things? In, and here's the key in a rhythmic way, in a fun way in a free way. Um, in basketball, I'm sure you can relate. When a person gets a ball out of rhythm, even if it's a shot they, they can make, they'll miss the shot. Why? Because it comes to them in a way that they're not used to. There's, an, there's a thought instead of an execution. Yeah. And now there's ball, thought, shot, as opposed to ball, shot. And yeah. that extra step gets in the way and causes the, 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 the break in, 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 in variation, right? And so the physical execution you, 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 you do to get yourself in, into the right state of mind and that you can consistently um, uh, get, get a flow from. Where, that's the third thing because that's what you're going to, uh, in, in the execution, whether you're, when you're training and when you're executing, when you're performing, you want to put the pressure on that routine because that's the thing you have to, no matter what, the, and, and because it, it, it combines the targets and the identity, it's basically, let me stick to this under pressure, right? If going back to a basketball analogy, the Chicago Bulls had like uh, the triangle offense. Yeah. Barcelona soccer played tiki-taka soccer. There's a method. There's a way we go about executing. And we trust this method of execution with its flaws. In other words, with its inherent flaws, because nothing is perfect, right? There's no perfect strategy. There's no perfect, there's no such thing as perfect strategy. And every time you think there's a perfect strategy, watch, that's when the opponent shows up that 
this thing's a little bit off. That's when God throws you a curveball from a there's no no perfect strategies, but it's 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 a humble analysis of understanding there this is who I am, this is how I do things. Mm -hmm. And I'm aware of the weaknesses inherent in this, but this is what I'm trusting under pressure. And I can also solve for variables off of that, that's routine. So when I'm coaching people, I interact with anybody, um, uh, and regardless of what the field is, again, because performance is, like I said, there's performance if you're an athlete, if you're an executive, if you're a spouse, if you're a parent, it doesn't matter, right? Performance is, is understanding that there is, uh, there's meaning and purpose and, and there's something that I want to do and there's a way to do it yeah. at, at a level. And so identity, targets, routine, those are the things that, that I, um, I always help uh, um, try to help people to focus on. And, and, and ironically, it's, it's, it's easy to say, it takes time to develop and to do correctly high level, but it, at the end of the day, from everything I've seen from, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of either Torah study or performance psychology study or, or, or behind the scenes evaluations and um, conversations with, uh, with people and, and, and um, you know, just seeing, you know, years and years of years of people execute things under, uh, under pressure um, and just evaluating different environments also just, you know, for, my, for myself it always comes down to those three, three principles, which is why I call it quantum performance coaching because quantum, quantum mechanics, quantum anything is basically looking for the underlying principles that help us organize very chaotic environments. And life is very chaotic. High pressure and performance environments are very chaotic. And if you have the simple principles that help you organize that information, then you have, uh, now you have at least a map where you're not, you know, you're not just in the dark. And, and really that's all we can, we can do now that's that's doing our best you know and so thank that's my take so much thank you so much near it's a pleasure to to speak with you and to learn all that you've uh, harnessed from your own training and then coaching and uh i'm so honored that we've been connected so thank you thank you for coming on the show how can people uh, learn more about what you're doing and then you have a couple articles on on linkedin um highly recommend checking out but uh, I'd love to close out with uh, hearing how people can get in touch if they want to reach out. Reach out uh, through LinkedIn um, or um, you can reach me at nearmariah at hotmail.com. Um, and, and I'm happy to talk to any of your viewers. I'm, I was very happy to, to come on the show. Um, I, love, um, I love talking to people from a similar field because they ask you know, good questions and um, Every time you, you're asked to speak or to talk, it forces you to kind of organize things and articulate things, and, and so it's like a, it's like a training exercise for me, and and also, um, you know, you never tell the story the same way. Yeah. So it, it was a lot of fun, and and uh, it's been a while since I I brought everything uh, brought everything up. So I th thank you for the opportunity, and I hope um, it's. Uh, uh, what everything I shared was as helpful for you as uh, going through the exercise was for me. So thank you for, for having me on sure. there. For sure. Have a wonderful week. Okay. Shabbat Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. I hope this episode brought you some really great value. If you enjoyed any of these episodes or would like to hear more, please leave me a review on Apple or Anchor podcast. 
I'm always looking out for topics to learn and talk about, gifts to share, and value to bring to us all. For more updates, please check out SolomonEzra.com. That's S-O-L-O-M-O-N-E-Z-R-A. That's where you can also sign up for newsletters, read about blogs, and hear my different podcasts. Take care.